You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. This week, we unpack what it means to belong to the family of God. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 10. We will get there in a little bit. Um, I just want to first comment and thank everyone who served on Friday and Saturday um, to make the, the Peacemaker Workshop Conference, I don't know, however you want to describe it, um, happen. And I, I thank everyone who, who served. It was a very profitable time together, um, not only uh, through the fellowship, but as we learned um, the biblical way of being a peacemaker and how to enter into conflict, something that a lot of us like to avoid and, and uh, some of us really like conflict. Um, but how can we, whether whatever side of the spectrum we might find ourselves, can we move to the center and do so uh, biblically? And um, I think it was very good. It's some things that I think that we can um, continue to, to put forth uh, for you guys to learn about in different areas of the church. Um, I, we do believe, I know uh, Joe and Marty were jumping through hoops to make sure not only all the technology worked, but that it actually was was captured um, on video or MP3, one or the other. So I do believe uh, that happened. So once we figure out the best way to put it all together and to present it, it'll be available for those that could not make uh, the conference the last two days. So um, again, I want to thank everyone who served and, and made that happen. It was a really good um, time for us to be together. And, and I think we, I, just asking around, um, a lot of those that attended said that they really gained a lot from it. Um, so I am grateful for the Lord for allowing that to happen. So let me pray for us and then we will um, jump into what we have, what the Lord has for us today. Father, we um, <clears throat> thank you for our time together today, Father God. Lord, I, I thank you most of all for Jesus. And Lord, I just ask as we walk through our time together today, Lord, that um, Lord, that I would get out of the way and, and Lord, that you would, you would speak to your people because this is exactly what you're doing now. You've already spoke to us through, through singing your word. Lord, you spoke to us through praying your word, Lord. And, and today as we look at this topic, Lord, um, we look at your church, we look at being a family. Uh, Father, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would work in us. Um, and Lord, that you would adjust and change us accordingly. And Father, I just uh, give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is um, a little bit different, sort of kind of like last week where we looked at a chapter in a book to try to set up the peacemaking conference. And last week we were were looking at how um, just changing the perspective of uh, conflict, how we can glorify God, we can serve others, and and we can uh, be changed when we enter into conflict biblically. Again today I'm going to be taking a chapter of a book that is just honestly, and I'm probably going to say this again, uh, just been gnawing at me for about six months. And um, I was so generous that I, I gave it to the elders two weeks ago, and it's now it's been gnawing at them for, for about two weeks. And today, I'm going to share it with the, the whole family. So that's um, kind of the, the heart of it. And, and 
all week long I've been struggling. Like the outline was there. It was, it was pretty simple to put together. And that all came about Tuesday. But, man, I couldn't. I wanted to get this done because I know I had all these things happening this weekend. And I wanted to get to And he just would not. He would not let things go down on the piece of paper. So I was, spent a lot of time in prayer this week and, and trying to find the right tone, right? We, we know that whenever we're talking with folks, you know, we have body language, we have tone. And especially whenever you're doing public speaking, that a tone can come across and change a message. You might be wanting to express or communicate one thing, but the tone changes it completely. And and today, the tone doesn't want to be of one of one like overbearing and, and defining things and telling you exactly what to do. Today, I, I more want to look at something that Jesus said and, and, and also something that was brought and put together by a very well-known theologian and a very um, well-respected and one that I can say emphatically, if you see this man's name, Sinclair Ferguson, you can read or listen to anything that man says because I do believe it's spot on. At least it's just like the rest of us. 90% of his theology is right. 10% is probably wrong. And we'll all figure that out when we get to heaven, right? But his 90% is, is really, really, really good. So he wrote a book called Devoted to God's Church. He wrote the book for the idea of, okay, I want a book that I can hand someone that maybe just came to faith or maybe came from a church that doesn't even do membership um, to get this idea of what it would be to be a good church member. So that's kind of like the, the overarching idea of the book. And in the first chapter, he, he entitles it Family Life. What is it to be the church? So as I've been thinking about that, and, and it's very much uh, a philosophy of our church, if you have logged on to our website anytime this past year, year and a half or so, you would see the first thing that comes up is this statement, join a group of messy people with messy lives as we help one another become more like Jesus. This statement is not unique for Mountain City Church, I don't think. It, it should be exactly what is happening in every church around the world. Because we are messy people. We, are, we may be saved. We may be called out ones. We are given the Holy Spirit. But we still live in a fallen world where every human being is affected by original sin. And we kind of bump into each other all the time and things get messy. We are not fully sanctified yet. We are on that path. So things are messy. And the church should not be a place. And, and one of the, uh, as we were finishing up our um, original sin series, someone gave me a, a great illustration as, as they were leaving. They were talking about it. It's like, yeah, it'd be good for the church to when they come through that door, they take off the mask. Yes, that is the church. We can come out of hiding. We can stop covering we can stop stuffing the hole of the things of this world that has been left by the Holy Spirit, but now the Holy Spirit is now dwelling in us. That we could just take off the mask and come in with all our junk. Why? Because we're all saved. We're all under the blood. Our sins have been forgiven. We are all are struggling with something. Every single one of us. If, if you're coming through here and say, nope, my life is good, because most of you will say, when you see somebody, how you doing? Oh, good. Really? What if, what if we were honest and saying, man, things are good, but I'm really struggling with this. Can you pray for me? 
Then we gather together on a Sunday morning. We're encouraging one another like Hebrews tells us. So again, this statement is not to catch attention. It's actually a ministry philosophy. It's actually the way that, you know, as I study and learn God's word and then also study about the church and how to lead a church, um, you know, there's many ways to do church, right? We can, we can have a thousand programs running and, and everyone's running with, with their hair on fire and, and we're reaching a lot of people and doing a lot of things and that's all wonderful for those that choose to do it that way. We can turn out the lights and, and, and it all be dark and somehow this platform, because that's all this is, becomes a stage and then everyone that comes through the door is just now entertained. I, I don't want that kind of church either and my personality and my ability would never sustain a church like that because that church is sustained by the the great communicator behind the pulpit, which I know my lanes and I'll stay in my lanes and that is not my lane. But it's a ministry philosophy. It's about, okay, what is the, the most important thing for the person sitting in the pew and the most important thing for the person in the pew should be the most important thing that God says is his will for us. In, in Thessalonians, he says, his will for us is to be sanctified. So therefore, the most important thing is that we help one another become more sanctified, become more like Jesus, to change more and more. Now, some of us, we get, we get great times of change, and some of us are like, man, I'm stuck. And why I'm stuck in the mud? Well, sometimes we need a couple brothers and sisters to come and pull us out of the mud and help us through. And walk with us. In fact, I think that's, that's what Paul said that, that, you know, my job and the elder's job is, right? In Ephesians 4, 12 through 13, he says this, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That, that kind of seems like that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing here. Right? That's what Sunday morning and everything that we do as a church is about, is equipping you to do the work of the ministry. And the wonderful thing about how God has designed us, as you live your life, as you do things with your family, as you go to work, and as you just go and do, go and make disciples, He's changing you as you're actually on His mission. If you are about building His kingdom... In doing that, he changes you. It's pretty remarkable. It's not like, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to hear a sermon, I'm going to change. No, you need to do something. That's why I think the book of James was written. We need to do something. As we go, he's going to change us. As we gather together and there's 15 people up on a roof and they're goofing off and they're having fun and they're enjoying working hard, he's changing us. He's building a family. He's doing something within us. Recently, I changed that quote to say, join a family of messy people with messy lives as we help one another become more like Jesus. That is the goal, to become more like Jesus. And I, I know my attitude and, and, and I know my, just my personality. It's like, okay, if this is the goal, then here it is. And then and when things are out here, I kinda, I'm kind of like a focused person and sometimes it probably comes off as um, off-putting or different things like that. But it's not really. I'm just focused. 
You know, that, that I had this lingering thing, and so does every one of your elders, that somehow we're going to get double judgment at the end. <laughs> it doesn't tell us what that is, but it's there. So I'm focused. I'm focused on how can we create environments so that you can change, so that you can be more like Christ. Because the bottom line is this. If you are living as Christ designed us to live, go back to the garden, you will have more joy. You will be more happy. You are, your life will be so much better than anything this world can offer. Anything this world can offer. So, again, I've been chewing on this book. Actually, I haven't really got past the first chapter. And what Sinclair answers, what is the church? He says, it's a family. It's a family. God is our father. Jesus is our older brother. And those sitting around you right now today and those that may be on vacation or visiting when they're here, those sitting around you who are in Christ are your brothers and sisters. They are your brothers and sisters. They're family. We see this language all through the New Testament by nearly every single writer. Mountain City Church, our faith family, is a particular local expression of the family of God. It's a particular local expression of the family of God. You know, whenever I, I welcome guests and say, I believe God brought you here, this, that goes all the way through until membership. You know, you should be at a church that God brought you to, that God called you to, because you have gifts that these other people need. Do you, have you ever thought about that? That when you walk through that door on a Sunday morning or you go to a community group or you're in a D group or you show up to a conference like this weekend, that you are walking into a situation where there's gifts that are needed by these other people to become more like Christ. That's how he designed it. Remember in Corinthians, he talks about the body and how we need all the different parts and he gives us all these different gifts. It's a pretty remarkable picture of this family that God has created. I do believe that because of the individualistic culture, again, Nate goes off stealing some of my sermon. This is wonderful. This is the Holy Spirit working. I believe because of the individualistic culture we live in today, the church has been influenced in their definition of the Christian life. Let me give you a quick illustration. How many have heard people say, all you need is to believe? All you need to do is believe, just believe. Well, that's true. Absolutely that's true. Right? Romans 10, 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you need to believe. But being a Christian is not an individualistic or isolationist activity. Believing also involves belonging. Because in order to believe, you have to be born again. Because the Holy Spirit's the one that changes our hearts. So as we are born again, now we believe. And because we're born again, we're brought into God's family. Think of the, the picture all through the New Testament of the shepherd. When the shepherd calls his sheep around, when Jesus was held up on the cross, and he calls his sheep around, inevitably we come nearer to one another, don't we? It's a great picture, and it's all through the New Testament. When you come to Christ, you're at the same time drawn nearer to others who have come to him. 
Being a Christian by definition involves belonging to the church. It's by definition, it's belonging to the church. And that in turn means belonging to a particular church. Some, I know there's a lot of people out there that's like, oh, I belong to the church. I believe and I belong to the big C, capital C church. But no, but we know that there has to be localized expressions of this church because there's some things in the Bible that says that the elders are responsible for those that are under their care. Well, Am I responsible for the person that's over here at the Methodist church or the person over here at the Catholic church? I don't think so. I'm responsible for certain people. And then also on the flip side, for you guys sitting in the pews, it says that you need to yield to the authority of your shepherds. So now are you to yield to the authority of of all these other people that are doing the same thing I'm doing right now? I don't think so. I think there's a, a particular expression or of the local church. In fact, the New Testament argues that it is not only a privilege to belong to the church, but it is also one of our central responsibilities. Why should it be so central? Because as Christians, followers of Christ, we should care about and orient our lives around what was most important to Christ. If we're saying that we are Christians, that we are Christ followers, then we should orient our lives around the most important thing to Jesus. We know that Jesus gave his life for the church, his bride. I think that's a a much better picture than what we think when we think of church, that we are his bride. So this, this family that you are sitting in today is a family that is also known as a church, an ecclesia, the called out together. Mountain City Church is not my church. Mountain City Church is not your church. It is Christ's church. So everything that we do and everything that we should be doing should either line up with his word in the words that he's already given us, or we should be seeking him in discernment to to see where he is moving and go that way. And that's what we're trying to, to do as elders. We're, we're learning and spending time and trying to, to spend time discerning what God is doing and where he is working and so that we can go and join him. Now, Jesus gives us a great example of this. There's, there's a place in, in the Bible where, where he's walking in a town and, and there's actually several funerals happening at the same time. But yet he saw God working over here, so he goes over here and he raises someone from the dead. The rest of those people didn't get raised. But God was working over here. It's a great picture of what we should be doing as a church. We should be doing in our personal lives and as a corporate body. We should be seeking his discernment and see what he's doing so we can join him. Instead of making up a bunch of man-made plans and saying, okay, God, now you bless that. It doesn't work that way. We can sustain it for a while, but it usually comes crashing down in the end. It's Christ's church. In fact, he told Peter in Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build, what? My church. My church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Paul later emphasized the importance of the church, 
of Jesus when he made the staggering claim that he governs the entire cosmos with a view to the well-being of the church. This is the passage that Sam read for us. And at the very end, in verse 22, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. And I really liked how all the other translations put for the church. I can see how he's given it to the church as a gift. He's also doing it for the church. So God the Father gave, gave all this authority to Jesus for his church. So you can see the importance of the church to Jesus. In fact, there's a stanza in the song we will sing just after communion that goes like this. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. If this is true, if this is what Christ, you know, if this is his import, most important thing that he's looking at, then it follows that as a disciple of Jesus, it too should, we should love the church. The church family should become central to my life. Because if I'm a Christian following Christ, this is central to him. So therefore, it should be central to us. Sinclair says this, It is simply impossible to live a God-centered, Christ-centered, spirit-led life unless my life is also church-centered. Anything that is central to Jesus must also be central to the Jesus follower. So as we think about our own core values, it is worthwhile taking stock and just asking ourselves. And this is the tension that I wanted to, that I've been wrestling with all week. I just I just want to put this out here, right? I, I just want to put it out there for your consideration. To what extent am I a church-centered Christian? To what extent am I a church-centered Christian? Now, Sinclair goes on in the chapter to challenge our concentric circles. In other words, if you think of the circles as you know, either we sometimes set up circles for our responsibilities or just different things. It's just a, a graph for our Western minds uh, to think through things. Um, and most of the time, if you think about your life in the very center circle, you would have family, right? You would have your family, your biological core family. That's usually always in the center. And then the next ring out, what would be our vocation because usually that takes us away from our centered, right? Away from home and family for many hours in a week, right? Most of us spend more time at work apart from family than we do at any other activity, right? If you understand, if you're thinking of circles as they get bigger, as they go out. So you have this, the center is the family, and then the next circle out would be our vocation or our, our jobs. Then, then the next circle out would be citizens, right? We're privileges and responsibilities in relation to the people around us in context of neighborhoods, towns, and in society, right? And then if then if we are a Christian, it seems like there is the church, and it's out here on this outer ring. This is probably your typical American Christian today. But the question we need to ask is, is that what Jesus taught? Because it really doesn't matter what Sinclair Ferguson says or Joe Sueka says. It does really, really matter what Jesus says. 
Can you really separate them in a nice chart like we often do? Can we just say, okay, oh, this center is the family, and we, we, we make these circles and make this chart? How are these lives, you know, these different circles related to one another in a well-ordered Christian life? This is what he's trying to answer in his book. Let me just give you Sinclair's answer before we look at Jesus' answer. Sinclair says this, Our life in the church lends its atmosphere to our social life. It energizes us in our vocational life to be salt and light in the world. And it is a basic dimension of, not merely an optional add-on to, our family life. See how he's starting to mix them? In fact, from one point of view, the church is so central to the New Testament's vision of the Christian life that in some senses, it is even more basic than the most basic of these other spheres, family life. That's a huge statement. What he just said is most of us would would say, no, no, family is the most important thing. And what Sinclair just says, well, maybe the Christian life should be lived where the church family is put in the center. Now, it's, we can't divide it up like our chart does. It's, it's not rows. It's more like this. <laughs> Think of it that way. Yes, Sinclair is saying the church family is more basic than your biological family. The implications for this statement are enormous. Let me just ask the question. When making your decisions in life, both large and small, where does the church fall on the priority list? Where does it fall on your priority list? If it's the small decisions on what you're going to do this week or humongous decisions that you have. Are we seeking God's will? Right? Sinclair is saying as a Christian, those questions are funneled through the basic circle of the church. Now, if this is just a theologian's idea, like I said before, and it's not found in the Bible, then everything that I've just said, you can just throw it in the trash can. But what if it's what Christ said? What if it's what Jesus said? What if Jesus said that the most basic sphere in your life as a Christian is the family of God? We need to think about this carefully. And its significance may well dawn on us slowly. In no way do I think just because we're going to unpack what Jesus says here that all of a sudden... That, that everyone can flip a switch. It's not the idea. It's, it's not my heart. It's, it's what I've been trying to, what I've been wrestling with all week to communicate well. We need to think about this carefully. And it's probably going to come to us slowly. But it is the logical implication of at least three of Jesus' hardest sayings that the family of God is center. It is the logical implication of at least three of Jesus' hardest sayings. Starting in Matthew 10, 34 through 37, it says this. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Here's the main verse. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
Here Jesus sets our ultimate priority. And our ultimate priority is that He comes first. He comes first. If that is the case, then His family has a certain kind of priority over my own family. A certain kind of priority over my own family. Bill Mount says of this passage, to love members of one's own family more than God disqualifies a person for discipleship. That's a hard saying. But that's because in our Western mind, we always, we, we kind of like put everything in silos. And that's not what God, what's not what Jesus is trying to do here. In fact, what, what he's saying, and I'm probably going to get ahead of myself, but oh well, here we go. He's saying that the only way that you can properly love your family is if you love Jesus more. It, it, it colors everything else. That's the only way to do it. That's what he's saying. That's, he's saying that, that if you love Jesus more, then you will love your family better than anyone that's loving their family first. Again, which makes sense. He just, he's getting this from the first commandment, is he not? You shall have no other gods before me. If you love something and worship something more than God, you're breaking the first commandment. Again, these things become idols. An idol is something that you stuff the hole with. And you're like, wait a minute, you know, I'm, the Bible tells me to love my family, love my wife, but, but he's also saying that that has to be colored by the fact that you love him more. Number one reason why a divorce rate is the same in the church and out of the church is real simple. It is real simple. It's because these two people decided to stuff the hole in their heart with each other. Instead of loving God first, right? My job as a husband, my job as a husband is to make sure that charity loves God more than me. And I spend a lot of time pointing out to her and maybe having some arguments and conversations about this when she is doing that. Because, man, I make a terrible God. That's my job. Husbands, that's your job. Your number one job is to make sure your wife loves God more than she loves you. Man, so many times we're going to have to serve just like Christ went to the cross to get his bride. You can't escape it. It's all through the Bible. It's all through the Bible. The wonderful thing is that by God's grace, my family life is meant to fit in wonderfully with the purposes of Jesus. It all starts with the husband loving his wife, as I said, as Christ loved the church. That's where it starts. We need to be a little bit harder on our men to lead their families well. To lead their families well. But the priority is not negotiable. If push comes to shove, Christ and his people come first. Jesus said this in Matthew twenty-two thirty, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. 
The implication here is that our family relationships, including marriages, are apparently, they're just temporary. Each one of us that are in Christ, that are born again, we are going to live forever. We're going to live in the new heavens and the new earth where there's not going to be marriage. There's not going to be families like we think of them today. We're all going to be God's children. That's about all I know about that. But I'm looking forward to it. Because, boy, how much grief is in our lives because of all the expectations we put on family and put on this. I won't go down that rabbit trail. One day our family relationships will be completely folded into the family of God. And if our prayer is, get this, this is how Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we should begin to engage in that process here and now. Right? It should start to look that way. We should start to live that way. And in fact, there's going to be more joy in your life if we do so. That's what, what Jesus tells us. Then we should begin to engage in that process here and now. Jesus lived out this principle. He had a biological family, his mother Mary, numerous brothers and sisters, stepfather Joseph. Yet for him, the family of God came first. The family of God came first. This leads us to this third, his, his third hard saying. On one occasion when his family had come to, to see him, worried that what he was saying was going to get him killed, he responded this way. In Matthew 12, he says this. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who is my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This perspective may be new to us. It may be hard to swallow. The church given priority, my brothers and sisters in Christ given priority, yes. This is what Sinclair is saying because this is what Jesus is saying. But don't miss the implication for our lives on this side of heaven. And again, I kind of jumped to this a little bit earlier. So long as we give absolute priority to anything rather than to Christ, we, have never, we can never enjoy it as Christ intends us to. We mar the good when we refer it, prefer it to the better. Because we thus forfeit the best. And the best is God's design for us as humans, for how we interact with each other, for everything. When we align our lives with Jesus, we will discover blessings in family that are not available to those who are not in Christ. There's also another reason Sinclair points out my family needs the church family for its own growth and health. This is how he designed it. We need each other. Sinclair goes on to say, No single family possesses all the resources it needs to be a truly and fully Christian family. We need support, friendship, examples, wise counsel, and much else from the church family. Two Christian parents are not in themselves adequate to rear one child for Christ. 
They were never meant to be. This is God's design. We're designed to come together as, as, a, as a family and then all these different gifts come alive and to help us raise children to help keep our sanity. Right, parents? We need the church. Our children need the church. We need this family around you. And, and I know there are many people around you that look differently, that live differently, that normally you might not gravitate to and, and hang out with. But you know what? We're all in Christ. And if they're in Christ, you're going to spend all of eternity with them. And this is a good thing that they're different. Because a lot of the things that you're missing, they, they have. And they can, they can pour out of their cup into your cup. This is a good thing. We don't want all of us agreeing on the same stuff. and it, it, that wouldn't, that, That's just a, a yes man church, right? That's not, no. We want diversity. We want us to be different. But in the same way, we are called to bear with one another. In other words, even though that that sister or that brother just aggravates me to no end, I still got to love them. I can't stop loving them. And you know what? Usually, that's the person that grows us the most. Because we rely on God the most to interact, to love on them, and to care for them. See, guys, there's something bigger happening around you than your individualistic life or even the life of your family can see. The church is the community in which the kingdom of Christ comes to expression. It is not a democracy run by elected representatives in which we debate priorities. It is Jesus' kingdom. It is his kingdom. We're called into his kingdom and the, the, to, to live a life differently than the rest of the world so that they can see the kingdom and then we build the kingdom. So the first question that matters is, what is the will of the Lord Jesus? And thankfully, God, through his grace, has given us an answer in about 250 pages of the New Testament. He has done all the heavy lifting. Our Father sent the Son to the cross to take away our sin. That was the heavy lifting. Our guilt, our shame have been removed. We now have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and that emptiness that we used to carry around with us is gone because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. You are now a child of God. You have been adopted into the family. And we need to be reminded of this often. So let me just leave you today with the question that the Holy Spirit has been messing with me for six months. And like I said at the beginning, with your other elders for about two weeks now. And it's this question. And it comes from Sinclair's book. And this this is where we'll end today. The question we need to be asking is not... How is church life to be fitted into my plans for myself or my family? But how do, I, how do we fold our lives into the life of the church? The question is, we need to be asking is not, how is church life to be fitted into my plans? 
But how do we fold our lives into the life of the church? Can we pray? Father, I just now turn to your spirit to work in your children. Father, I thank you that you purposely got rid of half the things that Joe wanted to say. And Lord, just allow them to seek you for what that looks like for them. Because I know that will go far better than anything that Joe can come up with. Lord, I I just pray that that they would seek you and at least consider the question. Consider what Jesus said and earnestly go to you to ask what they may need to change or what perspectives need to be changed. Father, and and I'll pray for the one that that may be listening or may be here today who does not know you. Lord, that, that you sent your son to go to the cross to take the wrath that we deserve because the sin that we commit. Lord, and that is such good news that we may be forgiven of those sins, that we may be brought into your family as children. And that we can cry out and sing out that you are a good, good father. And Father, I just pray today that if there's anyone that does not know you, that you would send the Spirit and change their hearts. And something that was said today, along the lines of the good news of what Christ has done, is, they look at that and say, I want that. Lord, I pray they would turn from trusting in themselves and trust in you fully. Father, as we take time to be reminded of what Christ has done for us through the elements, Lord, let us pray that you would work in our hearts so that we may rejoice in the good things that you have done for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.